Hello, fellow grievers. You have found the leftover pieces, Suicide Lost Conversations, and I am Melissa, your podcast host. Join me for real conversations and candid talk on hard topics surrounding the loss of a loved one to suicide. I talk with other lost survivors, mental health experts, advocates, and sometimes I offer my own thoughts. Every week we explore the questions that haunt us, seek the courage to uncover the healing tools within us, and hopefully offer the comfort of a community that we all need so very much. It's true our hearts and lives have been shattered, but come along with me and together let's choose to find meaning and even happiness amid the leftover pieces before us. Welcome. My conversation today is with Lindsay Doolittle. Lindsay is an activist, an advocate, an author, an artist, and I'll also add a teacher. She's a teacher in her career, but I think she's a teacher on so many levels. Lindsay's husband, Brett, a sergeant in the Kansas City, Kansas Police Department, died by suicide on April 22nd of 2015. She says she wasn't affected by Brett's loss, but instead she was completely transformed by Brett's loss. And initially, that was in large part due to how her husband's police department reacted to her after her husband's suicide. She didn't experience the comfort and care we might expect a police widow to receive. Instead, she was blamed, judged, she was met with silence, and felt shunned. Lindsay credits her support group with helping her find hope when she had lost it. In the years since Brett's death, her heart goes to lost survivor support because she doesn't want anybody else to feel how she felt following the death of her husband to suicide. She keeps it above the rug, as she likes to say, because she doesn't want to sweep anything under the rug the way she felt like the police department did for her. She even calls her website above the rug. She authored a children's book because as an elementary school teacher and an aunt, she knows how important being able to talk to children is. She even had an art exhibit called Faces After Suicide. Five years after Brett's death, she finally found a police organization that in her words made her feel supported beyond belief in a way that she wishes his department had been able to do. And she talks about how she supports them. She offers many resources. I have at least five links in the show notes that I know you'll want to check out. Today's conversation ends with Lindsay offering some final suggestions on how people can support someone who's lost someone they love. There's a lot to take from this conversation. I'm glad you've joined us today. Welcome, Lindsay. Thanks, Melissa. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I'm so glad to have you on. I'm so glad to have this conversation. Um, Can you start by telling us your story? Um, I guess it all um, happened when, after Brett died by suicide, um, I, uh, it was three weeks after he had died that I found my support group and I really needed to find hope somewhere. And it was the best gift I gave myself. Um, I was being blamed, um, by 
Brett's police department that he worked for. I was being judged. I was being shunned. I was blaming myself. Um, I didn't know what happened. I was trying to put the pieces together and um, I was completely lost. So I found SAS, Suicide Awareness Survivor Support, and they united me with other lost survivors. And when I walked in there, I saw people smiling and laughing and talking to one another. And I was shaking and sobbing and scared. And I thought to myself, I want to know how these people are doing that. I want to laugh again. I want to, um, I want to feel happiness again. How are they doing this? And it took time. It took a long time, but sticking it out in the support group, um, um, telling my story, telling my thoughts, knowing that there wasn't going to be any judgment on what I was feeling. Um, it, um, it really helped me through my grief journey to where now um, I feel like I, I don't need to be an attendee. I'm now a co-facilitator where I can help others and show them that there is hope, there is joy on the other side um, of suicide loss. I think that's such an important message. And I think that, um, I mean, that's part of what drew me to ask you to be here because that's also a big part of my journey is feeling, um, feeling so lost in the beginning and, um, you know, you feel so alone. It's such a, it's such a lonely place to be. And, um, I remember the first time I looked into the eyes of somebody that had been where I was, that was where I was, you know, she was a few years before me in the loss of her child but there's something about, you know, connecting with other people that know how you feel. And, um, you know, I, I, I know specifically, well, that's, that's actually where you and I first met, um, was at one of the SAS Smokan meetings. And so, um, that's what we have. That's, you know, that was part of my initial journey. I, I interviewed Bonnie, the leader of SAS Mocan on this podcast also. And, you know, I told her, I said, if it had been up to me, I would have continued to come. She knows, she knows I didn't continue, but it was only because of geographics for me, um, that I didn't continue to go to that group, but I did find other, other places that were closer to where I lived, um, that I was able to continue to go. So um, hearing you talk about how important support groups and um, a place to go and feel hope is for people surviving the loss of a suicide is, you know, part of what I would like to, you know, have you talk a little bit more about and what do you, so you, do you facilitate your own group now? Do you help them facilitate their meetings? How do you, what do you do? How has that evolved for you? Oh, I hope, I help SAS. I help facilitate whenever Bonnie and Mickey are not able to. And I also sit on the board uh, for SAS and help, um, I don't know, come up with the different events and support the different events that we have in a year. Um, uh, let's see. I was going to also say that um, after Brett's death, you know, it didn't just, um, I don't say it affected me. I, f- 
I like to say that it transformed me. I, I, I know that it transformed many other people. It affected other people, you know, many, many people, his police department. Um, it, it, it also um, affected my nieces and nephews and my family, my students, because I'm an elementary art teacher. And, um, you know, my students, they wanted to know what happened to Officer Doolittle, who ate lunch with me. Um, my nieces and nephews wanted to know what happened. And, you know, there wasn't any books or any resources that I could find for, um, you know, little ones to understand what kind of loss this is. And so that's when I wrote my book, uh, Good Night, Mr. Vincent Van Gogh, uh, to help uh, create awareness for our youth, you know, that we can talk about um, suicide to an early age um, and help them understand so that we don't sweep it under the rug uh, for the little ones. Um, I think that's part of the problem, um, that we don't talk about it to our, our, our little ones. Um, when something like this happens, um, we, we just don't have the words at the moment for even adults. So um, that's when I created that book so I could help create awareness. Yeah, it's, 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 and people can't see it, but it's a beautiful book. <laughs> I've, I've had a copy of it for quite a while. I have grandchildren and um, I hope that everybody listening will, will go. I will of course provide everything in the show notes, but hope everybody will at least go look at this book. It's available um, on Amazon and um, lots of places and it's, it's just beautiful. Lindsay has, um, you, you can tell me if I'm wrong here, but I think you employed, quote unquote, I know you didn't pay anybody, but you, you got, um, the artwork is all from different children, correct? It's actually all the artwork is uh, created by different suicide loss survivors from the support group. Okay. It's, and it's awesome. So each page is absolutely a different piece of artwork. And I assume that you gave them the text that was going to go with that page. Is that what you did? Yes. Um, I gave him the, the text and I gave him a picture of my uh, niece Mercedes because she uh, really prompted me um, to write this book. I, I saw her one night uh, crying out for her uncle Brett and I didn't know what to say to her. And, um, and she was really uh, what I could visually see um, how she was so affected. So I gave uh, the lost survivors who illustrated the pages a picture of Mercedes and, um, you know, use that reference point uh, to create the illustrations. It, it's, it's just a beautiful book, and it's such a nice, gentle way to appropriately talk to young kids so that people are, that are listening understand. What would you say this, this, you know, you teach elementary school, so would you say that this is good for, you know, any child that's elementary school age and, and up. I mean, I know parents kind of have to decide when to start talking, but. I say when a kid starts asking, um, go ahead and um, you can use those words that are in the book. You can use that book as a reference. Um, if a loss happens um, and you, you need to talk about it with them um, so you don't cover anything up. Um, that, that's, that's what it's there for. But yeah, kids, they start asking and, 
Um, and it's, it's of all ages. It's, I've had my readers, they, they have been from elementary all the way up to, I have uh, somebody who's uh, in their late seventies that it helped, you know, that they told me. So um, I hate the reason why they're having to read the book, but I'm glad that there's something for them. Yeah, me too. And I know that we said something, you said something when we were talking before uh, the podcast that you use the words that postvention often becomes prevention. And I think that because we were talking about how we both have a common heart for helping support lost survivors. And um, that doesn't mean to take away from supporting, um, you know, the prevention of suicide as a whole. And that's when you said, well, postvention often becomes prevention. And when I think about kids, I think that a lot of what we're missing in this society is that we take it's a, it's two levels. I think we are afraid to talk to them about death in general. And it's kind of something in our Western society. That's a thing where we almost want to hide death from people. And um, also then you take it that step further and now you have the complication of, of suicide and people, people don't want to talk about that as adults, let alone children. And I think that if we can start talking to our kids, this is a, a big entangled ball, but about mental health and then about death and about suicide when it does occur, you know, or, or other things that occur, whether it's homicide, that they're going to be more equipped as they grow older to handle life's challenges and or mental health challenges that come their way as a part of that. Don't you think so? I mean, respond to how your kids have responded, your kids being your, your students about knowing, do you feel like they are more encouraged to now talk about things that if they hadn't had you as a teacher and this conversations hadn't happened in their life, that maybe they wouldn't be as well equipped to talk about it. Um, I, I know that they, have that book in the library at my school now. And, um, you know, this book, they know that they can come and talk to me with any of their problems. And the same with my, my nieces and nephews that, you know, that that's, that's where I feel like that post-fention's prevention. Um, you know, my sister uh, and her husband, they have talked with their children and letting them know that, after, you know, let's read this book together and you can come and talk to us about anything, you know, anything, um, and, you know, having that open conversation and, uh, same with my students. So, yeah, it all goes back to conversations, right? I think if we just talk to people, it makes, it makes all the difference. Um, and in that, in that light, you mentioned that, Brett was a police officer and a lot, there were a lot of challenges that, that you faced um, with the police department and with how things were handled. And I know um, as of just this last month during Suicide Prevention Month that you were um, involved with and, and asked to come participate with a group called Blue Help um, that recognized uh, law enforcement, National Law Enforcement Suicide Prevention Day. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I'm going to let you embellish on it a little bit more. And tell me about what happened with that and about that movement, because I find it to be so encouraging. Yes. Uh, Blue Help invited me to come out to Texas on the 26th of September. It was their very first um, event for National Law Enforcement Suicide Awareness Day. And when I came, um, I stepped off 
the bus to go to the walk and a police officer came up to me and patted me on my back and said, this day is for you and all the other loss survivors. And that is the first time I have felt um, welcomed, not blamed, not judged, not shunned by a police department. I have, I didn't feel uncomfortable. I felt supported, um, uh, supported beyond belief because that's not how I was treated by Brett's police department um, after he died. I didn't receive that kind of support. I was denied support. Um, I was met with silence every time I reached out. And um, what they're doing for with Blue Help to help the families of law enforcement suicides is unbelievable. I am so proud of that organization and I um, know that they're going to continue. I want them to continue. Um, uh, they have helped me so much. I, I think to myself, how would my life be different had I received that kind of support from Brett's police department in the beginning? And I still haven't. Um, and I hope that that will change. And that's why I speak out. I'm hoping that there will be change and that the next widow, um, hopefully there won't, but if there's a next widow, I don't want them to be treated how I was treated. Um, I had a conversation with Sue Claybold over the phone. Uh, she was the mother of Dylan Claybold from Columbine, one of the shooters. And she had said to me that blame can be just as damaging as the death itself. And, you know, that woman has been blamed so badly and it wasn't her fault and it wasn't my fault and it's not anybody else's fault that their loved ones died by suicide. And um, that's, that's a big message of mine when, when talking and speaking out. I, I'm not against police departments. I want to work with the police departments and um, um, on their journey with mental health awareness and life awareness. <laughs> right. Well, and, and that's exactly it. The more aware we are, the better, better it can be. And I also talked a little bit about the fact that I, you know, didn't, it wasn't the police department itself, although I actually take that back. I mean, it was, but my first experience with Alex's death was a really bad interaction with the coroner and these public, um, you know, people, these elected officials and these, um, you know, public servants, the police, um, even, even the police, even the detectives, everybody in the law enforcement system for us handled things incorrectly, kind of the way they did with you. And it it did make all the difference as far as for us negatively and you as well. And I have sent people that have experienced the opposite where their interaction was really positive, um, kind of like what you're now experiencing with Blue Help. And like you said, you know, my first reaction when somebody told me that their coroner interaction was so positive was, oh my gosh, what a difference that could have made to me. In the autopsy report, it listed, Brett, you know, that it was a suicide, but then in the initial findings, it talked about how he's having marital problems. And I'm thinking to myself, well, if somebody dies of a heart attack, are they going to write that he ate like crap for 12 years? No, they're not going to write that. You know, why put that in there? There was no reason to put that in there. And if they wanted to put a reason down, Brett in his suicide letter wrote that it was 
the police department, the stress of his career um, uh, for what, you know, for his death. He wrote that it was always you, Lindsay, that kept me going, but it was the stress of this career um, that had changed him. And the, even the police department in their official police report, you know, that they pointed the finger at our marriage if they wanted to point the finger, why didn't they take what was written in Brett's words and blame them? You know, they blame our marriage. Brett blamed his police job and I blame no one. I know that life exceeded Brett's coping skills. That's, that is what caused Brett's suicide. And there is no reason to point fingers and blame because it doesn't get you anywhere and it does not help. Right. It doesn't support the loss in any way to do that. Um, and so what we have to do is continue to talk and educate and work with groups like Blue Help, like law enforcement agencies, like coroner's offices, um, especially the ones that are doing it right and let them lead the way. Let them lead the way to have others so that, like you said, hopefully there's not another widow, but there undoubtedly will be somewhere, Right. And so, um, you know, if we can continue to draw attention to the departments and the, you know, places that are doing it correctly, maybe more people can learn from it, right? Yes. You know, and hearing you talk about, like, your main focus really comes out in everything you do and supporting lost survivors and, I think, encouraging people to... And that's what I want to encourage people to do too. get involved with a group, Um, find a support group that fits, find a place that you belong, find a go to a walk. Um, The power that comes from surrounding yourself from supportive people um, is um, it's life changing as far as, you know, we are completely altered when we lose a loved one to suicide and we're looking for something to hang on to um, something to give us hope. And you tell, you know, when you say you walked into that first support group, a mess and saw people looking, you know, laughing and it's such a foreign feeling and it's so hard. It's so hard to get out of the car and walk into your very first support group. Yeah. Actually for me, I couldn't wait to get, get inside. Um, And Every time after that, I couldn't wait for the next support group meeting. I don't have children. I was all alone, and um, I was really scared. I was in a panic because um, I was with Brett for 17 years, and then there was nothing. And I was off from school, from teaching. Um, I took FMLA, and um, I had the next uh, month plus the summer off. So. I really needed to have that support group and, and share what was going on with me. Um, so I know that for some, it's really hard to get that first foot into the door. Um, but for me, I, I wanted to run and, and get inside <laughs> as quickly as possible. I love hearing that because you're right. There are so many people, and that's why I said that for me just working up the courage to go and then sitting in the parking lot thinking maybe this was a bad idea. I'm going to be the one person who, you know, falls. I mean, it's, it's ironic that we're worried about falling apart in front of other people that are also falling apart. Right. But we think we got to go in there and 
like appear put together, or at least I did. Um, and it's encouraging. So people that want to go should be encouraged to go and people that are scared to go. I mean, you were still scared. You just wanted to go find out what it was about, right? Yeah, I, I was scared because um, it was acknowledging that he was gone. And I also, my story was so bizarre. And even people in the support group thought that maybe my story wasn't real. <laughs> they, they thought it was so out there, but they made me feel so welcome. And over time, I mean, it's just some people's stories. They are, um, I mean, everybody's uh, story is different. We all have common threads. Um, we all um, have different experiences with that person. You know, whether it's parents, children, siblings, um, uncles, aunts, best friends, um, spouses, um, there's exes in there. Um, you know, everybody's got a different shared experience and they shouldn't um, be denied to be denied to share um, what their thoughts are. If they if they're needing help. They need, they deserve to get it. Yeah. They deserve the support. You're exactly right. And that's, that's the one thing that I will, I will tell you that every place I've gone for support with suicide loss, I have found a welcoming environment of, you of, you know, while suicide may be the common thread, like you said, I've had been set in support group with people with their, their ex was the one that died. It wasn't even a current, you know, husband or boyfriend or girlfriend, and it's still about them needing support and there's no judgment. Nobody cares who, who, I mean, they care who your loss was, but it doesn't have to be the same. You don't have to seek out a support group, in my opinion, that's just for widows or not to say there couldn't be a benefit from being in a widow's group. There probably could be, but part of what I talk about is people, when they're grieving, it's really important to just start to put your toolkit together and there's going to be multiple things in your toolkit that's, uniquely to you that help you get the support you need on this journey? Um, there is a, a free online support group Zoom meeting. Um, it's called Through This Together. And they have not only the support group for the immediate loss survivors, but they have the people who are supporting the immediate loss survivors. The, they call them the ally group. You know, oh. they're the ones that are helping them, you know, they have questions. They need support too. Like, how do I support a suicide loss survivor? So they split off into two different groups and it's uh, run by uh, a great uh, couple, Michael and Tom, um, through this together. Um, and uh, it's held twice a month on uh, every other Tuesday. But yeah, um, it's it's really great for the people who don't know what to do to support a suicide loss survivor. Or they're in an area where there might not be anything or especially during COVID um, there still is a lot of places where groups aren't meeting in person or if they are, they're meeting in a very um, strange environment, (laughs) you know, meaning now we have to all sit in really wide circles and you know, the mass and the different things that are going on, which need to happen, but it's nonetheless, an additional strain. So I will, I will put that in the, sh- I, I'm, I'm going to look that up myself. I've not heard of them, Lindsay. I'm, I'm really um, intrigued. And you said the, uh, the group that they have a spinoff from would be like, say, for example, my husband could attend the other group, the allies. 
because I think, I mean, what works with, for one doesn't work for all, but the support groups help me so much. And, um, I feel like the support groups are such a great gift for the lost survivors, but maybe not everybody needs to be in the same support group. Right. (laughs) Right. Um, you know, this is where that split off can happen and it's all confidential and, um, and it's so caring and loving and so, um, enriched with resources. Well, good. I think that I will, like I said, I know that we didn't initially talk about that and that's not your group, but if with your blessing, I'd like to put that in the show notes for your episode also, because we've talked about it and I'm going to check into it now because, you know, my husband has gone to some support groups with me and he always offers to go anywhere I want him to go. And it's not even that I don't want him at some things, but I think there's, there's, there's times that I feel like it's a double-edged sword. One, I don't want him to feel like he has to do this too, because he's already my primary support. So sometimes I want to go like, don't you need a break while I go do this, you know, but it's encouraging to know that there are some people actually thinking about our support people and that they might need a place where the only other people in the room are also support people supporting someone who has a primary loss. I mean, that's the only thing I know to call because in, in case somebody that's listening, hasn't listened to my other episodes, my husband is not the father of my son. So it isn't like we share the same, Oh, I say the same loss. Uh, he knew Alex, um, but only for a, a, a couple of years. And during those years, Alex was in college. So he didn't even live with him. He lived with my youngest son for several years. Um, but he, you know, so that makes this, you know, a primary loss mean mine and him being more of my support person. And I think there's probably a lot of people that may have a sister or a best friend or, or their spouse. And like in my case, that is their support, but didn't experience directly that as their primary loss. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's really important. That's really encouraging that there's groups that are doing that. And um, I'm just, you know, I'm so glad that you took the time to talk to me. I'm so inspired by you. I always have been, you have so much, you know, going on. You don't ever seem to hide the fact that this is hard. Um, I don't think I hide the fact that this is hard very well. And sometimes, you know, that's, I think that's okay. I mean, <laughs> I think it's okay because, you know, if we want, I just can't pretend that some, somebody one day said something like that has to be so hard when I told them that I, you know, talked about my son's suicide on a regular basis. And all I could say to them was hard things are hard. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how else to sugarcoat it besides to say, yeah, it's hard. It's a very hard thing. And so, yeah, it's hard, but I either, you know, sit with it and let it destroy me or I talk about it and try to offer offer hope. You and I talked a little bit about how I think and sometimes I think people need to hear both sides of it. There's going to be a lot of people listening that will be very early on in their journey and my hope is to offer them hope, you know. Um that's my wish. And what's a message of hope that you could leave people with? Um because you are, you know, it's, it, you know, a few years into your journey. Um, I feel like for my hope, um, I, well, 
personally for, I hope that people are going to hear this podcast. And if they're wondering, how do I support a suicide loss survivor? I would think of it as any other kind of death. What would you do if somebody you really cared about lost somebody close to them? Doesn't matter what kind of death. Um, What would you do for them? You know, um, make a playlist, uh, do their dishes, um, mow their lawn, babysit their kids, um, you know, bring food by. Uh, It shouldn't matter how someone died. If you care about the person that's grieving, you need to be there for them and support them. Um, Don't shy away from them. And it's okay if you make mistakes. I have made many, (laughs) Um, but don't shy away and um, it'll mean so much to them. Um, You'll have no idea uh, how much it means to a suicide loss survivor who um, doesn't really get that that support initially. And um, they look for those special people who are going to be there for them because the people they thought were going to be there for them sometimes are not. And sometimes it's those special people that come out of the woods and that make all the difference. I 100% agree with everything you just said there. You're exactly right. It's, it's um, just show up. That's a great, that's the best advice I can give people. Don't worry about what you, I would rather, I still to this day say, I would rather somebody say something to me that they perceive as wrong than to say nothing at all. Because, and I've had people say that, you know, and so the whole adage of I just didn't want to hear, you know, some of the, it's, they're all cliche and there's a reason they're cliche. You know, you don't, somebody thinks, well, I just don't want to, I don't want to remind you of it because it might make you sad. <laughs> well, first of all, I haven't forgotten. <laughs> it's with me all the time. And one, it's probably, even if it makes me sad, that's okay. it's okay to, it's okay to be sad, but, you know, speak their name, talk about it. Um, You know, it's, it's, first of all, it's how we keep them alive, but it's also how we, how we support each other is to just show up. I tell people, even if you just are the person who goes and says, I don't know what to say with you for, to you, but I just want to be here. That would be so powerful. Like you don't have to know what to say, right? No. Don't need to know. You can just sit in silence with them. Or you can sometimes say, what, how about this? I don't know what to say. What can I do for you? What could I say? What would make you feel better? And most lost survivors will tell you. I know I will tell people what would help me. Yeah. Yeah. And if, and if, they, don't, if they don't know, just sit with them until they do. Yeah. <laughs> and people asking me, um, what do you need? You know, when they, and the, after Brett died, I, I didn't know what I needed, <laughs> but the people that would just do, they just, they just did something, you know, what they could do. Um, that meant so much to me. I know me too. I, and you're right about the people that come out of the woodwork and the people that fade away. And it's just part of it. We just have to literally say some of this is going to happen. And it's part of the journey, but, you know, I, I try to tell people not to dwell on the ones that go away. Um, be thankful for the ones that come in. Yes. Yeah. 
Well, I'm, I'm so thankful that you took this time to talk with us and share your encouragement and your support with everybody today. Thank you so much, Lindsay. Thank you. And thank you for what you're doing. I hope that uh, the listeners, the, that they um, will take away uh, a lot from this. And I know that they will. So thank you for doing what you're doing. I hope so too. And I'm going to put um, all of these links that you are about to tell me in the show notes, but for people that want to find you, want to find the book, want to find, we didn't talk about your art installation, but she you know, has an art installation. I want people that want to find you. How can they do that? Um, I have a website called abovetherug.com because I feel like the police department swept Brett's death and me under the rug. And so I keep it above the rug. And um, my book is on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. You can also find it in the Vincent Van Gogh Library in the Netherlands. That's awesome. I didn't know that. That's awesome. The art exhibit's called Faces After Suicide. It's, um, it's on my website and there's a Facebook page. Awesome. Thank you. Again, thanks so much. Grievers, it is my hope that from today, you will take that which serves you and simply leave the rest. If you connect with what you have heard, please subscribe to get notified of my new episodes every week, and please feel free to share it with others in the suicide loss community. If you are so led, I would also be honored if you would leave a review so that others might find us more easily. You can find me and all ways to connect with me at my Instagram, The Leftover Pieces. I want you to know that I know how very, very hard life is now. It's true that we will never be the same, but we are going to be okay. We will figure this out somehow, together, and we will keep our loved ones with us because there is no getting over or past grief, only learning to live more gracefully alongside it. Only through talk can we keep their memories alive learn to live again, and bring some awareness so that less will suffer. Join me again next week, and we will keep the talk going. We will sign off today, as always, with the wise words of my Alex's favorite, Peter Pan. Never say goodbye, because goodbye means going away, and going away means forgetting. Grievers, no one here is forgetting. Talk soon.